open your Bibles tonight to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I've enjoyed very much our missionaries. I, I can't tell you how much it feeds my heart to hear from them. But I'm really ready to preach too. I'm busting to preach and, and excited to, uh, to teach for a moment tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Of course you know that the word Advent literally means... I was hoping you would know that the word Advent means... Coming, yeah, it, it, it means coming. Advent means coming. And the season right before Christmas in the Christian calendar, we call Advent. As Christians, remember, these aren't just secular holidays, Christmas, Easter in particular. Even though the world celebrates these days, these aren't just, uh, just the way the rest of the world does holidays. We are using the, the calendar, we're using the rhythm of the year in order to focus our hearts and to focus our churches and in order to remember that the most important matters of doctrine and most important matters of the gospel. So on the Christian calendar, you don't just stop and celebrate December 25th, just one day Christmas, or even the way the, the mall does it from Halloween until the day after Christmas sale. Uh, there's a season called Advent that, that helps us to prepare for Christ's coming, that first coming. At the same time, for, for Christians, when we think about and celebrate Christ's first coming, we're also at the same time intended to anticipate and look forward to Christ's second coming. Yeah, second coming. In the same way that he had promised to, to come, the Messiah would come the first time, there are promises in Scripture that he is going to return the, the second time. There are two advents, in, in other words. The first coming is past. That's Christmas, his, his birth in Bethlehem, so to speak. But the second coming, we still await. We still look forward to his second coming. Let's take a minute and describe the two. Tell me about the first advent, the first coming. What do you associate with the first coming of Jesus? Yeah, humility. How is that expressed, Amy? How do you see his, the humility of Christ in the first advent? Yeah, everything pertaining to his coming shows his humility. It's the very picture of, of Christ who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, the scripture says. He humbled himself, therefore you have the same mind uh, that, that was in the mind of Christ. It's beautiful. It's a picture of humility. God, the, the, the maker of heaven and earth, who empties himself of everything pertaining to his majesty, and is born in a stable, born in a manger, yeah, and worshipped by shepherds and, and humble folks. It, it's amazing, the, the picture of humility. What else do you associate with the first coming? Okay, y'all are done talking about that. Tell me about the second coming. What do you associate with the second coming of Christ? Yeah, there's a victory. It's a very different picture. Now, the first time he came rather silently. Angels announced it, but not to the whole world. To whom did they announce the, the first coming of Christ? Just some shepherds. Just some shepherds. And then, of course, the Magi saw the star in the east later. But, but honestly, it wasn't a worldwide thing. It was a very, very local thing. And very few people really got the announcement that the Messiah had come. Very few very few, and in some ways the world still hasn't heard. But the second coming will be different. How will it be different? Yeah, what do you say, Andrew? Every eye will see. Every eye will see. 
Absolutely, absolutely. That the sky is going to roll back like a scroll or, or like a shade. You ever had a window shade and you pull it down and, and, and you let go too fast? What happens? Yeah, the sky's going to do that. You understand? I know that that would make scientists' head explode, but God loves to make scientists' head explode. You understand? It's going to be something like the sky just rolling up like a shade. And every eye will see him. It's not going to be like the first coming. Every eye will see him and every knee shall bow. Not, not just a few. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It won't be like the first time. What else? We use the word victory. What else? Yeah, Norm. Yeah, power. This humble child in the manger, first time he comes. Next time you see him, he will come in all power. He doesn't come that second time to save the world. He comes to judge. Yeah, he comes to judge. Incidentally, there's really only one Christmas carol that we sing that isn't at all about the first advent. It's about the second coming, the second advent. Which Christmas song speaks only of the second coming? Joy to the world, yeah. Joy to the world is not about the first coming. Do you realize that? Not a word about shepherds, not a word about angels uh, over the fields, not a word about the manger. Joy to the world is about the second coming. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Yeah, second coming, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the second coming tonight. For all the things we've just said, Honestly, when most people think about the end times, the second coming, these aren't necessarily the, the things that they think about. What, what do most people get caught up in? 666, yeah, and, and the Antichrist, and, and, and the mark of the beast, and, and all of these things, these burning questions, the, the, the rapture, uh, the horsemen of the apocalypse, and Anyway, let's come back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and let Scripture remind us what we need to know about Christ's second advent. This is good stuff. I'm going to read 24 verses, uh, so, so let's read together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now, let me back up. I always go back. Chapter 4, what has come right before chapter 5? What's the end part of chapter 4? Flip back to about verse 13. What's he talking about? I read this at most every graveside when we preach a funeral. Yeah, now, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to, uh, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so that you won't grieve like others who have no hope. He's been talking about the resurrection. And in chapter 5, he says this. Now, concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. And I think that's really kind of funny. Stop right there. Concerning how and when all this will happen, we don't really need to write you. Would you disagree with that? I mean, we really want to know how and when these things will happen. I don't need to write you about that. Excuse me, Paul. It would help if you would. But notice what he says. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. 
For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you're already doing. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Okay, take your seats. Let's talk about this for just a moment. Paul sees very little need to write about how and when the second coming is going to take place. You notice that? I really don't need to write this to you. He sees very little need. Why is that? Because we would really love to have that. We would love to have that letter that Paul writes only about that, the how and the when. That's exactly what we want to know, precisely what we want to know. But Paul says, I really don't need to write that. Can you explain that? Yeah, my father says that, interestingly, people who get really obsessed about the how and when often stop serving. They stop living for Christ. They stop doing anything in the world in the name of Jesus. They just stop and become very, very preoccupied with who's the Antichrist and, and, and watching everything that happens in Israel and just watching the calendar and becoming very obsessed with the how and the when. And Paul says, I don't really need to write to you about this. Yeah, there is this tendency for some people to become very obsessed with these very things that Paul says, I, I, don't, need to, I don't need to write that. Yeah. Somebody else, there was a hand in the back. Yeah, Rick. Yeah, everything, everything pertaining to our life in Christ is based on faith. And the matter of the end times, this second coming, it's not going to become anything other than faith. We continue to anticipate that also in faith. We would like to make some of that sight, though, and not have to walk in faith. Yeah, Donna. Well, it's already, um, the, the folks, they heard from 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus told them, uh, I, I will come again. It, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? Yeah, I, I, I will come and, and bring you to myself so that where I am, there you may also be. It's been a part of the gospel from the very, very beginning. But there's so much, there's so much that's not in there. So much apparently that Jesus didn't even teach. And, and he said he was coming back. But, but we want to know when. I mean, I really want to put that in my iPad. I want that day starred and I'm going to highlight it. I, I want to know, wouldn't that change everything if I knew when and how? I'd love to know how everything that I watch on the news plays into that. I, I want to fill in all of, of the blanks. I want to connect every dot. Is that wrong of me? Because Paul says, I'm not really going to write about that. Paul, write about that. My, my goodness, we want to do that Bible study. But, but, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. We want to know more than the Bible tells us. And that's very difficult for some of us to accept. We want to know more than the Bible actually gives us. And, and, and there are people, honestly, who can, who can spend weeks and weeks, sometimes months and months, sometimes their whole lives doing nothing but talking about the, the second coming from Scripture. And I'm telling you, and you should understand, we're all reading the same Bible, there's not that much in here. There's enough for us to know that he's coming. Absolutely, he's coming. Absolutely. That is the very hope and fulfillment of our faith. We will see him. He will split the sky wide open. He's coming. But we don't know how necessarily, and we don't know when. And anybody who seems to know more than the Bible knows about it, just understand, they're making it up. You don't get to know more than the Bible knows. And the Bible does not offer us answers to all of our questions. If there's any preacher, including the one you're looking at, who can answer questions about the second coming that the Bible doesn't answer, I'm making it up. He's making it up. Nobody gets to know more than the Bible. And the Bible tends to avoid the very questions that most people want to ask. Most people want to know details. They want to know dates. They want to know places. They want to fit everything into this big timeline that the Bible never gives us. We never get that timeline that the preachers on TV can spread out as big as their stage. The Bible simply doesn't give you that timeline that folds out. The Bible tends to avoid the very questions that we tend to ask but the Bible continues to be very consistent in its message about the second coming. And somehow, what Jesus wanted us to know seems to be the one thing that we often miss. Let's go back to what Paul says, because what he says is what we're intended to know. For you know quite well, verse 2, that the day of the Lord's return will come, say the word, unexpectedly unexpectedly. That means all of those preachers who seem to know when he's coming back, when he actually comes back, what are they going to say? What? You understand? They're not going to be expecting him either. Not necessarily. Not on that day. He's going to come like 
a thief in the night. There are two images, two analogies that, that Paul gives us here to describe the second coming. The first is a thief in the night. The second one is very different. It is like a woman going into labor. Now that's interesting. I can't tell you exactly when a woman having a baby is going to have a baby, but I can sure tell when she's close. You ever seen a woman that you just think, oh my goodness, she's going to blow. She's about to blow. Yeah, and honestly, the world in which we live is about to blow. It's about to blow. The scripture tells us that. It's very close. It's about to blow. This world is, is pregnant with judgment. Do you understand what I'm saying? Pregnant with judgment. It's about to blow. In other words, there is something very important here to understand. The fact that we don't know the hows and the whens, it doesn't mean we shouldn't really be thinking about this. But the way we think about this is not intended just to feed our curiosity. Jesus never said, I want you, I'm going to give you just enough information so you can spend the rest of your life at a prophecy conference figuring this out. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, with the knowledge that I'm coming back, I want you to do what? Just get it in gear. Yeah, absolutely. I want you to watch. I want you to stay alert. I don't want you to live like everybody else. Do you understand? That's the point. The knowledge that Jesus is coming back any moment, any time. I wish he'd come back before I finished this sermon. That would be awesome. I wouldn't have to do any Christmas shopping. If he just come back right now, do you understand? No finals, people. No finals if he just come back right now. I would love that. And there's nothing that would prevent him from coming back before I finish this sentence. Do you understand? Nothing to prevent him from coming back. Not a thing. And that knowledge is not intended simply to make us curious about how and to when. Instead, it's supposed to make us live for him. It's supposed to make us live with an urgency, with a state of alert, with the kind of faithfulness, with the kind of watchfulness that would only really apply to people who know that any moment, any day, we're going to stand before the very judge of our souls. It's supposed to make us alert. It's supposed to make us stand watch. Again, two very different images. Let's unpack them a little. A little more about the woman in labor. What's that like? Why is that a good picture of the world awaiting judgment and the second coming of Christ? A woman in labor. Y'all ever seen a woman in labor? Hopefully it was only from a distance. What's a woman in labor like? Mean. Yeah, yeah. Y'all don't know my wife. I didn't know her either until that moment, that moment. Oh, my goodness. Casey was big as a barn, just big as a barn, pregnant in the middle of July, the hottest July that Louisville, Kentucky had ever seen. She was about to blow in so many ways. Her face was this big. Her belly was this big. She was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. But... (laughs) So pregnant, oh my goodness, so pregnant. And everything about our lives had to do with the fact that a baby was coming. You understand? Everything about our lives. We were buying stuff. We were, they call it nesting. We were cleaning house and, 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 and swapping names back and forth. What if it's a girl? What if it's a boy? If it's a girl, we'll name her Catherine. If it's a boy, we'll name him Wade. And we went back and forth and back and forth. We set up the nursery. We were very preoccupied with the fact that, that this baby was coming. 
And, and then we knew it was very, very close. I mean, it was really, really close. And then that moment comes when she's in labor. Baptist Hospital East. I'm telling you, it was something else, just something else. We actually had training, and they trained me as a Lamas coach. I was her coach. Anybody else been through that? Guys, you've been a Lamas coach? Yeah, yeah. In that whole training, they're just wasting their time on us, aren't they? They're wasting their time. My only job was to count for Casey. Now, Casey, y'all know her. She's like a Zen master. She just would go inside herself and just go silent, and she would just soldier through those, those contractions, and I'd be there to count. And then it got really close. The doctor is coming in, and this time we're really doing it. We're really doing it, people. And so I'm supposed to count, but I can see Casey hurting. Her face is red. She's crying. Oh, she's so mean. And I'm telling you, this is hard on me. Hard on me. And so I, I, I got one arm around her shoulder and one arm around her knees, and, I, and I'm counting. The, the doctor said, okay, push. And I was supposed to count till 10. And I'm looking at my wife, and I know this hurts her. And so I just start counting really fast. Push. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I, I do. And then I said, I announced, because I'm supposed to be the coach, I said, let's take a break. <laughs> I'm in it. Honey, I needed a break. I needed a break. But then Casey, in this other voice, not the voice I'd ever known, this other voice, she said, no, again. And she pushed, I'm telling you. And what happened next? Yeah, Wade Harris, Wade Harris, happy birthday, Wade, yeah, Wade Harris. Oh, my goodness, yeah. How is that like the second coming? Yeah, there's, there's, there's pain. There's real pain. That, that, that's real pain. It, it wasn't my part. I, I, I needed to break people, and I had to lay down. It was over. But, but, but that wasn't me in labor, do you understand? And in the second coming of Christ, there is definitely real pain. There's also this inevitability about it. Because, you see, once that labor started, there's really no stopping it. There's just no stopping. Remember when I said, let's take a break. No, no. Once these things begin to take place, there's going to be only one outcome. Do you understand? And that's the state of the world now. There are things in motion. This is what scripture teaches. Paul says that the entire world is in labor pains. He says that elsewhere. This is an image that he likes when he's talking about the end of all things. That, that the whole world is in a kind of labor and it is painful, and it's difficult sometimes to watch, but there is going to be an outcome that will be absolutely glorious, absolutely glorious, yeah. There's another image, the, the thief in the night. How is the second coming going to be like a thief in the night? It's, it's a different picture. Anybody ever had a thief in the night? Ever, ever been broken in on? Yeah. What's that like? Dad, your hand was up. What, what, what was that like? Okay, excellent, excellent. Dad says he doesn't know he was asleep. And that's the point. That's the point of Paul's image here. If you knew that the thief was coming, understand? If the cat burglar called you on the phone and said, I would really like to come and ransack your house and take some of your valuable electronics, what night's good for you? No, you're not going to know when the thief comes. And he's going to come at night because that's when... You're least expecting company. You're asleep. 
and it's dark, and you'll be caught completely off guard. This is a very different kind of image from the woman in, in labor. Because the woman in labor, there's a, there's a happy outcome from all the pain. But the thief in the night is a different kind of picture. That's not happy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you understand? And he comes at night. There's absolute unexpectedness and, and, and terror. And that's Paul's point. Notice what he says. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, you see that's Don Harris laying in his bed sleeping while the, while the thief comes in. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin and there will be no escape. Now notice what he does. But you aren't in the dark. You understand? So the picture of the thief in the night, who does that apply to? The world, the lost, non-believers. That image of the thief in the night really doesn't apply to us because we're not in the night. You aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. You won't be surprised. Remember this morning I told you about Opal Sparks making that quilt for me? And what did she keep doing? She kept coming in and saying, one of these days you're going to get a quilt. And then when I got the quilt, what'd she say? We surprised you, didn't we? No, no surprise. And this is what Paul says. How would you be surprised when he comes back? Because he's been saying all along, I'm coming back. One of these days, I'm going to be coming back. One of these days, I'm going to come and I'm going to take you and you're going to be with me. There's going to be no surprise for believers. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to the darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. Christ chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So, encourage each other. Build each other up just as you're already doing. You see, this is the thing. Anybody who, who preaches about the second advent, the second coming, and they're preaching to believers, anybody who preaches that in any other way other than to encourage people with that news, I, I think they're missing something biblically. Now, I can tell you a lot of times when preachers preach about the second coming in my life, I was just I was scared to go to bed. I, I was scared. I would walk in the house, and if my mom and dad weren't there, I figured the rapture would come, and I was gone. You know, I, I was left. I, I lived with that kind of, of fear. But Paul says the message of the second coming should be something very encouraging to believers. He didn't save us for his wrath, you understand? He, he saved us for holiness. He saved us for eternal life. His second coming is going to be glorious for those who know him. If you're a child of the light, if you're saved by the grace of God and by the glory of the gospel, do you understand? You've nothing to fear. You can say with all of your heart, even as the earliest Christians said, Maranatha, that was their word, that they just simply meant, Lord Jesus, come. Just just come. When he comes, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. I want to see Jesus. Now, now, I love this old world. 
I love the world. I don't love the things of the world. I'm not saying that. But I love this life. I love life. But I love Jesus more. If this life, as glorious and beautiful as it is, did you see that moon as you were coming in tonight? Is there anything as beautiful in your whole life as that gigantic orange moon sitting on the horizon? That's so beautiful. But did you understand what awaits us in heaven is going to be so much more glorious I, I love this life. I, I love this old world. But, but in a heartbeat, I'd rather go be with Jesus right now, wouldn't you? We're supposed to be encouraged. It's supposed to motivate us toward, toward holiness and toward serving one another. Notice everything that follows out of this point is just practical. This is how you live, Paul says. This is how you live. Knowing that Christ is coming back, that's supposed to motivate you to be doing his work. This is how you live, Paul says. I'll wrap up. Um, I'll wrap up. Verse 16, 17, 18. There are three things, three things, three important duties, three important opportunities, three important responsibilities that, that will always be in front of us. In other words, you'll never, never be done doing these things. There'll never be a moment in your life when, when these things aren't called for and appropriate. Three things always in order. What's the first? Verse 16. Joyfulness. Joyfulness. Always be joyful, the New Living Translation says. Your translation may have different words, but there's no other way to say it. Always be joyful. Can I always be joyful? Well, this is how it comes back to to, to what we've been saying. I can be joyful when I know how everything turns out. You see what I'm saying? Are you one of those people that picks up a book and, and you read the last page first? Anybody do that? Yeah, yeah. Brenda, why do you do that? Oh, that's it. Yeah, Brenda says if it doesn't end the way she wants it to, she won't be reading the book. Yeah, yeah. And that's true, JC says. Read the back page first. If it isn't going to end well, don't waste your time. Yeah, yeah. Do you understand that Christ gave us everything we need to know about how everything turns out? Let that sink in. Whatever situation you're worried about tonight, you already know everything you need to know about how things turn out. I talked to Carol Barton today. She's a sister that goes to Providence Knob. Y'all know that Carol lost her husband this week. I talked to him at the Thanksgiving service just a few weeks ago at at First Baptist Baptist Rockfield. I, I talked to him. He just dropped dead in the shop, and and she found him and buried him this week. And the verse to Carol and to the rest of us says, always be joyful. Well, I can tell you one thing. I talked to Carol today, and her heart is broken. And she's going to go through her very first Christmas here without the husband she loves so much. But do you know Carol Barton? She's joyful. You know why she's joyful? She knows where he is. Oh, it breaks her heart that he's not with her here. And she doesn't know how she's going to continue these days on, on this earth without him. But, but you ever heard Carol sing that song, I, I, I bow to my knees and cry holy? It's her favorite song. And you know what Carol says? She says that the way she found him, she knows that before he hit the ground, he was with the Lord. Before he hit the ground, 
He was with the Lord, and she knows that. And she knows that she'll see him again. So you see, it doesn't necessarily take away the heartbreak. It doesn't necessarily dry up all the tears because she loved him, and he's worth every one of those tears, you understand? Those of you in this house now with a broken heart and a loved one that you miss right now, I don't think at all it's bad to cry because your husband, your, your, your child, your loved one was, is, is worth all of those tears. But, but there's this amazing capacity that we have when we walk with Christ. We are capable of always being joyful, even with tears. Do you understand? You can do both things at once. Most of you people have taught me this, so I know that you know this. You can always be joyful because you know how everything ends. Everything ends put back together. Everything ends in wholeness and newness. Everything ends with Christ. With us, with Christ in glory and reunited with all those in Christ. You understand, everything ends so beautifully, so well. That we have this ability to be joyful no matter how, how much like living in a garbage can sometimes this life seems. Because we know where it all leads. We know the end of the book. We know the end of the story. And it's so good. It's so good. Always be joyful, Paul says. I like verse 17. Never stop praying. Pray without ceasing. Yeah, yeah, pray without ceasing. What does that mean and is that even possible? Pray without ceasing? Yeah, Andrew. Yeah, prayer goes two ways, two ways. There's, there's, of course, my talking, but also my listening. And the fact is you just always, always leave yourself open to his voice or open to, to speaking with him. We live our entire lives in his presence. You can pray without ever stopping. I'm going to ask you, how is that even possible? Aren't you occasionally going to have to stop and balance your checkbook? <laughs> Some of you don't. Aren't you at least going to have to stop and eat? I knew I'd get you on that one. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you ever seen birds? Of course you have. You ever try to sneak up and catch a bird? Yeah. How'd that go? It goes badly, doesn't it? Yeah. Why is that? I mean, it's a chicken or a turkey or something. They're like a bird. You ever try to catch a bird? Why can't you catch a bird? Because it could be sitting right there on the edge of that pew, and I can sneak up, and it's just sitting there, and I can sneak up. But what happens in the very moment I, I do this? Yeah, flies. Yeah, flies. Is a bird always flying? No, but a bird is always in the attitude of flight. Understand? It's always ready to fly. And I think that's something of what the Scripture means when it says pray without ceasing. I should always be in the attitude of prayer. I should always be ready to pray. I should be able to pray just like that. So immediately my, my heart reawakens in God's presence and I know that he is there and he's speaking to me and I can speak with him. All of your life is lived in this attitude, this readiness for prayer. Paul says, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, he says, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle, quench the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. 
that the message of the second advent is, is intended to motivate us for a different kind of life. We're not like the world. We don't live in darkness. We don't think like the world. We don't act like the world. We are not of the world. We're children of the light. Children of the light, eagerly anticipating the day when the sky rolls back like a scroll and we see him. We shall see him one day. Any final thoughts? Let's pray together. Jesus, Jesus, we want to see you. We want to see you. Jesus, we thank you for the promise kept at Bethlehem. The promise of the coming Messiah who would come and, and a smoldering wick he would not stuff. Lord, we thank you for the promise of the Messiah who came as a suffering servant, suffering for the sins of the world. But we thank you, Lord, for also the promise that when you come again, you will come in glory and victory and power. Lord, truly there, were the, there will be those of the night unprepared for your coming. And your great appearance in the sky will be for them the most horrible moment of their existence. Lord, those unprepared to see your shining face, Lord, will be destroyed by your holiness for eternity. God, it is unthinkable. But we praise you, Lord, that we are not of the night. We praise you, Lord, that when we see your shining face, we shall become like you. We thank you, Lord, that we know how all these things turn out. We thank you, Lord, that everything ends with you in glory for all eternity. Lord Jesus, we don't know a lot about the how and when of your coming, but we know the fact of your coming, and that fact changes the way we live our lives. Help us, Lord, to stay awake. Help us, Lord, always to have our eyes peeled on the eastern sky so that, Lord, when you come, we can see. But, Lord, help us at this very same time to do your work, to do your work, Lord. As long as it is day, Lord, help us to do your work so that, Lord, we can share the good news and we can let folks know, Lord, that you've come and that you will come again. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the privilege of being a part of it in this day, in this age, with the wonderful calling and vision and resources you've given us, oh, Lord Jesus. We've seen what you've done in this past year. We can't wait to see what you will do in the coming year. We're simply delighted, Lord, delighted to be your children, delighted to serve you. We have no idea how much time we have left, but Lord, I pray that we will spend every single minute serving you and anticipating your coming. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.